This is an ABC podcast. Okay, so Pip and I are presenting Drive this week on Triple J. So we're not going to be doing our classic hookup podcast episode, but instead I've got a really beautifully raw and honest chat that I had with Brooke Blurton for you. Uh, You probably know her from The Bachelor and The Bachelorette last year. It was a really huge season last year for representation. She was the first Indigenous Bachelor or Bachelorette and also the first queer But like everything we see on reality TV, it was, you know, reality TV, very scripted, very two-dimensional, and not a lot of people know about all the circumstances that has led Brooke to end up where she has. But she's just recently released her memoir called Big Love. And in this, she basically covers her whole life up until now at 27. She talks about her childhood growing up in extreme poverty uh, in a regional town in WA called Carnarvon. You know, she spoke about being in and out of foster care because of her mum's mental health issues and drug addiction. She shared her experiences with childhood abuse, being sexually assaulted, uh, and as a Noongar Yamaji woman, her family's battle with intergenerational trauma as well. I actually didn't know this about Brooke before I read her memoir, um, but Brooke lost her mum to suicide when she was 11 years old, and her nan passed away a few weeks later, which was just absolutely devastating for her, and Basically, she, apart from her brothers in Carnarvon, um, she didn't have any family left. So she moved to Perth where she lived with her dad's ex-partner. And then she was, you know, homeless in and out of high school. She had just had to grow up so quickly at such a young age. But despite how much trauma Brooke was dealing with, she still had so much love inside of her, you know, love she got from her family, from people who took her in when she had no one else, love from her AFL community, which was so important, her school, that really helped her through her own mental health issues and encouraged her on her journey to become a youth worker. And then, you know, later, like we all know, uh, a TV personality, now a podcaster and also an author. Trust me, it is actually insane. I couldn't believe reading this book, just how much she has gone through, how much she's overcome, survived, and then as corny as it sounds, but absolutely thrived. Uh, I actually don't know anyone or have like read any experience of someone more resilient. And I was so lucky and honoured that I got the chance to catch up with her and have a chat to her about her story and her memoir. Before we get into this chat, though, I just want to give a bit of a content warning. We do talk about abuse, uh, trauma, and intergenerational trauma. So if that brings up anything for you while listening, there are numbers that you can call in the show notes. This is probably one of the most vulnerable books I think I've ever read. There's so much that I wish we could talk about with your story. Like I love all the your journey into youth work and all the, the work you do around advocacy yeah. and mental health. But um, this is the hookup and, you know, we talk about dating, relationships and love. And your yeah. book is all about love. Big love, to be exact. Yeah. Um, in- Which is kind of ironic because I'm not very big, but I have big love. <laughs> you can feel it. You can feel it. Um, in the intro, you wrote... Compared to others, my childhood was an unusual one. There are two stories that I could tell about it. One could be about all the things we didn't have, like food in the fridge, clean beds to sleep in every night, Mm. stability and the routine of breakfast, school, homework and dinner that most kids take for granted. But that wouldn't be a true story because this isn't what has made me who I am. It isn't what took me from a girl with very little to a woman with power, passion and skills to give to her community. Mm. The other story, the true story, about what has made me who I am is the one thing that I never went without. Love. 
big love, which filled me up and made me feel like there was a future for me. The kind of love that's unconditional and that lasts across time, space and even death. Yeah, so you share so many examples of the way that you felt love. But I want to chat about your mum because I think a lot of the time when we think about childhood abuse and trauma, the parents or guardians who are inflicting that abuse are kind of always put in this box of maybe unloving or cold and absent but you really emphasised how much love there still was in your home. Mm. What did your mum and maybe your family teach you about love? I mean, it's always really hard to talk about. You know, there is – my mum had so many different sides to her. Obviously, her addiction is one side and, you know, we saw that in such heavy times. And then I saw my mum for being my mum, you know, very loving, very affectionate. And so you go through waves, you know, as a child being like, you just accepting that that's just your mum and that's who you who she is and I I love her so much I love my nan as well equally but I think I wrote the book from sort of a hindsight perspective right so looking at it and just realizing that as a kid I'd probably compared my life to a lot of other kids lives um my kids all had parents that packed their lunches kissed them on the head and sent them off to school and my mum wasn't like that but my mum showed me love in different ways and I just was very grateful as a kid like I don't know why and how but I think looking at it now I just think I was such an empathetic person I kind of knew that my mum had some demons that she was unfortunately dealing with in her daily life and that didn't stop her from being a mum but it stopped her from living I guess like her full potential of what she would want to would have wanted for herself and for us kids and I think you know I can look at it now and just realize that my mum was just had so much potential to live a really live out her dreams. I don't know what her dreams were, but addiction is heavy and addiction is um, tormenting and it's not a fun time. I think uh, I, you've seen and you've probably read that my then my sister sort of repeated the same patterns and I could have easily gone down that road, but I felt like I had so much more to do with life and um, I want to be a mum so bad um, and I know that I'll be a really good one because I've got my mum's special powers as well. (laughs) But yeah, I think to answer the question, sorry, I think my mum was a very special woman. And even though she didn't show love as a very conventional way, as in, you know, tucking into bed and reading bedtime stories, she showed me uh, a different type of love. And I think that's what I carry out, whether it's like, you know, I think we even used to joke that my mum used to bite us. <laughs> Just like playful biting. I know that sounds really weird. It sounds probably very kink. That's not, I promise you. <laughs> not king it's just like you know she just loved us so much when she was in that very affectionate mood she would just bring us in and she'd like want to like squeeze us till she like you know we yelped basically and I think that for me is like how I love act equally the same I do it to my dog you know (laughs) I'm like repeating the same pattern of behavior (laughs) so yeah even though it wasn't conventional it was a a type of love and I never went without it and Mm. I never felt like I went without it and now I'm sort of carrying that out yeah. yeah. And you you really talk about that in your nan and your mom and your sister and you, like just mm. how much that kind of went through generations. Um, but you do speak a lot about intergenerational trauma, which mm. I think is, you know, really eye opening and so important. What ways do you think intergenerational trauma can be misunderstood? Um, I think a lot of people think that people choose to be in that cycle and that they can't that, you know, it's easy to break out of 
that generational cycle and it's not. And I think I explained that really well in my book is that I have been able to, luckily from the love of strangers and luckily from people telling me that I've got so much, you know, potential and I've, you know, I can achieve things because otherwise I wouldn't have believed in myself. I absolutely wouldn't have. And I probably would have fallen down a trap of just repeating the same behavior that I've seen. And that's, I guess, the negative part of living, knowing that you're a part of a cycle, but then also trying to break it. I think it's hard knowing that, I, I don't know, I feel a lot of pressure in my my own family to continually break cycles and continually do things. Like I don't always feel like I'm working when, you know, people just kind of get to just live their life. You know, they don't have a cycle to break or they don't, they could just be themselves. You know, I have so many pressures and responsibility to my family, to my culture, to my communities. Um, But intergenerational trauma itself is so complex and it obviously extends from colonisation. And a matter of people, you know, I've had things and people say to my communities, just, you know, get over it, move on. But it's not that easy. It's so difficult. If you go to ground level, you go into these communities and see how we live and see how the struggles aren't just as easy as moving on then I think people will really realise, like, go into the communities. Like, just an ex- an example is that in these communities, people are connected to their culture and staying out communities so much because that is the last thing that they can hold on to before that completely gets, you know, wiped. And that's what's happened, obviously, with assimilation and colonisation. And so it's hard when <clears throat> you see what's happening in the communities and you see they're connecting and they want to stay out on the lands and live on, off the land. But communities want to integrate and you know make them live the same basically like again repeating the same pattern and so there's no employment out there there's no employment opportunities there's no way to survive when their the food and produce um in the shop costs a shit ton of money which I wouldn't even buy if I was living in suburbia like it's ridiculous and like they make it really really hard and it's such a deadly cycle I felt like you know my family sort of started on the back foot my mum unfortunately was a pattern of behavior that she saw from my nan my nan was the same my nan was denied education at the age of 27 I'm now 27 and it's like well how do you expect people to you know break these cycles if you're not giving them the access and so we're sick of asking um so we're just you know, doing now. And I feel like a lot of people are making those waves of change. And I think I just want to open people's eyes to it. It's not easy. It's so not easy. Like, yeah. It's, yeah, it's a very, very huge conversation. It um, really is. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> not me just like asking the question, like, yeah, all right. No, um, <laughs> um, Brooke, after your mum and nan passed away, another place that you felt a lot of love and being accepted for who you are was playing mm. AFL, um, mm. which I loved so much. How important was sports growing up for you and learning about yourself and also about love? I was so lucky to find footy. I, I, I honestly, like I even say in the book, like footy actually saved my life. And I don't play footy now and I miss it so much. But like even just when I was writing the book, just being like, oh, I just want to go back. Um, it 
was so nice being a part of a community of women, particularly, and knowing that whoever you are or whatever you are, there is so much acceptance and love in those community in that community and I went from club to another club and there was still so much love between the clubs like there's I think footy and especially women's footy is we want to see it so elevated like we want to elevate it so much like we want to see it people you know there is no I feel like there's never been shouldn't have been gender in sports like I feel like if you want to play footy you want to play footy but I guess that's just the world and so when I was writing the book I just wanted to like show people what it's like to have community and um, love and support especially from women to explore and be able to like feel accepting of like who you are who other people are no matter where they come from and so I was lucky to meet a few few of my girlfriends through the same community. Yeah, because it was like the place where you felt the most comfortable right figuring out Mm. your sexuality. Yeah, because everyone was like, not everyone, obviously, but a high percentage of the women that played footy were gay. And um, I was, you know, just like, I was just doing me. I was just Brooke. Like I wasn't like Brooke the bisexual. I was just Brooke. (laughs) Like everyone was just so accepting, whatever. Um, Like my girlfriends and I didn't, ex-girlfriends, sorry. (laughs) Just got so many girlfriends. No, my ex-girlfriends. Wait for the Daily Mail article. (laughs) Brooke in three relationships. Um, Yeah, like I never really felt the need to uh, like come out or identify or um, I was just Brooke and everyone just accepted that and everyone was the same. Like I was, you know, I had a friend, she was Lexi, she, she was Levi, like whoever. Um, we didn't have to identify them by their labels of, or who they were with and their sexuality. Like it didn't matter. And that was really nice because it made me look at sexuality so different and what community and uh, being a part of something gives you like as a person. Yeah. Totally. Like, cause it's all about the company you keep, right? Like if you're Mm -hmm. just surrounded by people who make you feel um, less yourself or maybe like there's something wrong with you, which happens to so many people, I guess, like quote unquote coming out. But then, yeah, if you're just like, it's the normality, you're just like, well, yeah, what the fuck? Of course. I came out, like I I got a girlfriend and everyone was like, yeah, sick, cool. Like, (laughs) yeah, we we don't care. Like, if, if you're happy, I'm happy. Like, that's how they were. And obviously I didn't have a lot of like I didn't have a coming out experience. I guess I write that as well is that I didn't have anyone to come out to. Like I lost so many people. And when I came out, it was just like a matter of bringing my ex-girlfriend to a barbecue and being like, that's not my friend. It's my girlfriend. And people and my friends and family were like, sweet, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, it's so different on the contrast of that being a part of The Bachelorette and being part of The Bachelor where it's like there's such a big emphasis And I guess that's why I wanted to show that in Big Love. Like, it wasn't a big deal. And I don't try to, uh, like, exercise my sexuality out. Like, do you know what I mean? I don't try to, like, exert it and say, hey, I'm bi. Like, I just like both women and men. I know you're, like, all of a sudden having to have these conversations over and over and over again when it comes to The Bachelorette and, like, also not being bi but being pan because, I mean, we spoke to you about that last time. And you're, yeah, the, I, prefer, I I definitely say that in the book was, like, yeah. I probably more identify. If you want to label and put me into a, a category, <laughs> that's what you want to do. Yeah. Um, pansexuality is probably where I sit because I don't really close myself off to anything or any meeting anyone. Mm-hmm. Like, I have big love 
Obviously. So I want to talk about what you learnt about love from your first love because you wrote, I don't think there's anything quite like your first love, especially as a teenager. When I met Dom, I fell in love hard to the point of obsession, which <laughs> can relate. Um, but importantly, I felt accepted, like I'd found my person. For someone who'd been dealt with so much trauma so early on in life, I can't overstate how much this meant to me. My heart needed someone to latch onto and Dom gave me the crucial, unconditional sense of love and security that I needed, something that I had been missing in my life ever since. Nan had died a personal like query that I had after reading your book was you know I've spoken a lot about attachment um Mm. and a lot about like childhood abuse and trauma and the toxic ways that you know we can learn love as a child and how that might impact how we choose other relationships later in life and kind of repeat that cycle because that's what we're used to and what we're drawn to yeah I just would love to know like how did you find yourself in like such a healthy first relationship I feel like it was both him and I together as people. I feel like he was such a mature person. And so, you know, I was probably a little bit older in myself than my age. And he was the exact same, like very independent. And when we naturally gravitated towards one another, we instantly knew that. And luckily, you know, I have completely shrinked myself in some ways where I've gone and looked at my attachment and looked at, you know, it's very... People say like the most vital years are the first five years of your life and that's kind of defines on how you build relationships, so-and-so, whatever. So I was kind of like unpack that with myself all the time. But I think my first love was that for the first time um, I could be affectionate to someone and they could reciprocate it the way that I would like it and want it. And so, you know, you love your brothers and you love your family and you, you give them like that. But I wasn't getting that reciprocated. I was very independent. I guess I was quite, you know, I had to look after everyone else. And for the first time, Dom was looking after me and making sure that I was okay. And so, of course, you naturally are going to be like a little bit obsessed. It's your first love. Like you feel like, you know, flowers are blooming and like (laughs) all this like you know love stuff and you just your heart is so full but I think it was actually probably more him and I being like on the same level of maturity in that age and just basically mimicking what we felt as well was how we wanted to experience love and how we wanted to give it to our partner yeah Give it to our partner. No, so, I know. So, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Give, give and receive. Uh, receive, receive and yeah. give. You know. I don't know if that answers the question properly. Yeah, I but think so. I think there's no recipe, obviously. Yeah. But when we met, we had so much in common. Like we met through footy. We had similar interests. We wanted, we even knew then we wanted a family, which was so odd. We used to write love letters to one another. We did it all. I had sort of basically mimicked what I'd seen maybe on rom-coms because I'm a huge romance person. And then just, I felt like that's the experience that I wanted. Yeah. I love that. I love that so much. Yeah. It's so, yeah. Probably unhealthy. (laughs) Nah, not by the sounds of it. I totally get you there on the rom-com thing because then when you like grow up and you mature a bit and you're like, oh, yeah, okay, that's a little bit flawed. But um, yeah, I was just like so in awe. And then I feel like you kind of repeated that in relationships 
from that point on. Like, you, you know, you had multiple other relationships. You had mm. some with women um, and then you ended up on The Bachelor and then you ended up in a long-term relationship with Nick, um, your partner, your ex-partner. And, you know, that seemed just so incredible and loving and that after two years came to an end because of different life stages. Yes. Um, yeah. But Which then, you have to be realistic about. Yeah. I think it's really important that that's why I wrote that in there was that I – was in these relationships and I found myself in these relationships which were so beautiful and so full of love. But I also had to be really realistic. And that's much harder, I think, when you do love someone and you know that it's not going to be, you know, you're in different stages and you will be in like a matter of years as well. For sure. So, yeah, that's really hard. No one talks about that. Yeah, because he was a lot older. (laughs) Yes. Um, But, yeah, after that kind of relationship came to an end, you did this trip where you went back home to Carnarvon, Mm. um, you know, which was obviously a big emotionally huge trip being back there. But then you travelled by yourself to Broome and you wrote, because I really loved this moment, um, you wrote, in Broome, I checked into a little Airbnb and made myself comfortable and then suddenly it was just me in the silence. Seeing my family had been a balm, but there was no escape from working through what I was feeling. How afraid I was of losing Nick, how uncomfortable I felt when I was alone, how much I looked to relationships to fill me up. Mm. Um, I feel like a lot of people can relate to this, like that moment of like watching all the TED Talks and reading all the articles when you're like finally by yeah. yourself. But yeah, how did you feel having that period of time just being completely single and on your own? I feel like the first thing you do when you know, you're going through a breakup is, uh, well, the first thing I do is actually I probably make a a love playlist, like a breakup playlist. Oh, yeah, I've got one of them. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I think you have to kind of let yourself feel that emotion. And I'd been so scared to beforehand. So I sort of bounced from relationship to relationship trying to fill that that void. And I think a lot of people do that. And I'm actually okay to admit that. I feel like that's just, you know, I've learned so much. But I think... Being by myself and being in a place where I was like more secure and that I had so much to offer someone, I wanted to find that person. I wanted to find the person that, you know, I'd be with, but that didn't happen to be with Nick. And I found myself suddenly alone. I was like, well, I need to enjoy this actually. And then I kind of flipped. And when I was listening to that TED talk and I was reading all these like self-help books and because when you're on the road for so long from, you know, Perth to Broome, you listen to a lot of audiobooks and you sort of, you know, download because you're not going to be able to do it on the road. And so I just went through and I was just like, you know, how to deal with a breakup and basically just searched and added so many different things. And it took me down this crazy journey. But what I was, what I went through was like realizing that I do have so much time and why do I feel like I'm running out of time? And then also realizing that I hadn't been by myself for a very long time. And it is uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable. Um, I'm finding myself in that same position, like even now ish, ish. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, yeah. um, is to just enjoy doing things by yourself, whether that's a road trip, whether that's even just like going to a pub for dinner by yourself or a cafe. I actually really take a lot of um, solace in it. (laughs) I love that you went and sat by yourself and just had like a dinner at a pub by yourself and then met people. You know, I just love those moments so much Mm. when people are single. I think it's just because I've been single for so long and I'm just like, But why do we not do it when we're in relationships too? Totally. I feel like it's, 
Yeah, we I, I we probably should practice it more when we're together with someone as well so that we don't lose our independence. Completely. And like you learn so much in those moments when you just have time to think. Yeah. And yeah, I'd love to chat to you about your journey of self-love, like speaking of being single and mm. figuring that all out. What has that been like for you? A lot of my friends always tell me that I'm very assured of myself. So they think that I have a lot of self-love for myself, which I do. I absolutely do. And it has been such a journey. Um, I've spent a lot of time by myself. I've been so independent my whole life. But it's kind of sometimes you get to a point where you look a little bit sad, a little bit lonely. But it's only if you want to feel that. I feel like sometimes you have to sort of just like express that emotion and it's okay. And then go surround surround yourself with people that you love. Um, I had to learn how to love myself again from The Bachelor. I really struggled with loving someone and then knowing that they didn't love me back. And that's pure rejection. (laughs) Everyone doesn't really deal with rejection. I'm a true Capricorn, so we hate it. Um, And so, you know, I had to go spend some time by myself I found the gym again I found footy again surround things that I do love like love doing but then also just double into things that I never thought that I would be doing as well so trying different things like I tried rugby but I had to then you know and then I put myself out there again and then I have to repeat the same happen so it's a a constant ongoing journey I think with self-love I don't think it really is just a matter of like reading a few self-help books and hoping for the better I think it's a matter of spending time with yourself and really spending time with yourself going on retreats Mm. I don't know if you find retreats like I went on a recent retreat and I realized that I have such a negative inner voice and we don't realize that until we stop and then I had to actually physically like stop and you know remove outside noise and anything connected to the outside world and really realized that I was talking really down to myself. And then I was like, I just wrote a book. Like, I wrote a book. I just <laughs> I just wrote a book. Why am I so negative at the yeah. moment? And why am I so sad? But it wasn't sadness. It was just like I wasn't loving myself because I had put so much effort and time into this. I was just feeling overwhelmed. And totally. so I was like, okay, well, pull yourself out of it, pick yourself up again and write another one. <laughs> <laughs> and also remember to tell yourself, like, you know, that you did such a great job, you know. Yeah. We never say that to ourselves. We never really give ourselves own. We're very quickly to jump to friends and say, you're doing amazing, yeah. you know, but we never really give it to ourselves. And it sounds silly to us to be, like, able to do that ourselves. But sometimes I actually look at myself and I'm like, you're a bad fucking oath (laughs) I'm like I can't believe you've actually got like I'll be sitting down with family or like at a friend's dinner and I'll be like wow I live such a good life like I'll be like what the hell is my life like I I'm so grateful but I feel like I need to stop being grateful and just being like and just owning it just being like, you know what? I worked hard for this. I've got food in my fridge, food in my like pantry. I'm good. I'm killing it. <laughs> honestly, like I couldn't name anyone else that is killing it as much as you have. <laughs> like I honestly, like I can't. Thank you. Um, Brooke, this has been such an incredible chat. Thank you so much. I haven't interviewed anyone. I don't think that's been as honest and vulnerable as you. (laughs) No, it's so good. It's so refreshing. Like, it's so nice, especially for someone who obviously has been in and out of media and doing really huge, like, high-profile shows, you know? And I'm still not perfect at it. I still get nervous. I still stuff up. But I just say, well, that's just me. (laughs) 
Talk. Oh, is it? Yeah. No, it's honestly so refreshing and, yeah, such a blessing to chat to you. So thank, thank you. you so much. I love this chat. Thank you. How incredible is she? Honestly, I still – I did this chat with her in the studio on – I think it was Thursday. I was like, it was like five days ago. I've still not stopped thinking about it. Like, I'm just in awe of her. And I hope that you enjoyed that chat. I hope that you learned something from it. Uh, I hope that it made you feel less alone if you can relate to anything that Brooke has gone through. But yeah, just again, I'd like to say that there are resources in the show notes if uh, that conversation brought up anything for you. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you next week.